You're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 6. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 6, and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues. Mark chapter 6, we have come as far as verse 45. Uh, Jesus has finished the feeding of the 5,000. It's going to tell us in verse 45 that straightway he constrained, and it's an interesting word, his disciples, he constrained them to get them into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent the people away. We're told in Mark's, I mean in John's gospel, that they wanted to make him King because he had just fed them. And uh, Jesus, very concerned about the misconception of who he was. He hadn't come then to be king. He had come to die on the cross to pay for their sins. He knew that concept of who he was was dangerous. The people that would try to work out that concept of Christ the one who had come to take care of our belly, our physical frame, and that's popular, uh, would fail short in so many ways. Uh, Jesus knew they were safer in the storm that they were headed into than they were on the shore with a wrong concept of who he was. I, um, I had an, an aunt and watched her for decades and she was involved with some of the televangelists and I'm not against televangelists per se. Some of them are great godly guys. Some of them are screwballs and uh, you have enough discernment to tell the difference. But some of them, you know, everything in your life is supposed to be prosperous. You're always supposed to be healthy. Nothing is ever supposed to go wrong. And it is a, it is a, a perverted gospel it's a, isn't the gospel at all, it lacks redemption. It plays on people's emotions and what they want to hear and draws them into a false sense of security. And then when the difficult day comes, when the hard times come, the, the, the foundation is not there. As we study through the scripture, we see the struggles that, that Abraham had, or we see Noah preaching to his own day. We see Joseph cast into prison for what is doing right and the things that he went through, or Moses, or David, and so many of the remarkable lives that are brought before us. And we learn, as Paul said, how to abase and how to abound. We learn what to do in the difficult day. We learn what to do in the day of blessing. But as I watched her when uh, her brother died and, and difficult times came, she disintegrated. She didn't understand where God was. How could he let something difficult come to her life? And she had completely the wrong idea of his love and his faithfulness. And we have to understand there are storms that come in our lives. There are storms that will come in our lives. You know, when I read this, uh, this, this record of this storm on the Sea of Galilee, 
the thing that bothers me about that is I believe that he put it there because I'm going to need to know what it says at different times in my life. And I would rather take the correspondence course on storms. You know, I'd rather go around the Sea of Galilee than go across one in a storm. And the interesting thing is, as I go through scripture, look, I realize this, there are storms. These men are going to end up in the middle of the storm for their obedience. They haven't done anything wrong. God's not getting them. There are storms of correction. There are times when we reap what we've sown and God allows difficulty to come in our lives like Jonah because we need to be corrected. Our course needs to be corrected. Our stubbornness and our rebellion needs to be corrected. And sometimes we're reaping what we've sown and God allows that to work and do in our lives what ultimately will benefit us. But there are storms of perfection for perfecting us, not correcting us. And sometimes, and and I'm thankful that God is sovereign. Look, we may end up in a storm because of someone else's behavior. You know, I I see teenagers in a storm because the father came home drunk and punched the mom or because there's an abusive situation and they didn't ask for it. They end up in it. But even then, because I know God is sovereign and loves them as they cry out, that ends up to be to their perfecting in the long run term. God will take that and use it in their lives, to work in their lives. And and there are oftentimes when it's hard to be obedient. God is asking us to yield and to do what's right in a difficult situation in a storm. There are some storms that we sail right into. They don't come from anyone else. and, And we find ourselves in the middle of it and there's turbulence and there's things going on around us. And we're saying, Lord, how could you let this happen if you love me? How can you let this happen in my life? How, and, and the whole time he's taken us, you know, if you're anything like me, you get to the other end of one of those and then you go, oh, now I see. Lord, forgive me for screaming and griping and complaining the whole time I was going through that. I should have known better. Now I see what you're doing. Well, these disciples were in the midst of a fervor. People wanted him to be king. After all, he just fed 10,000 people from a couple sardines and English muffins. That's the kind of guy you want to be king. The Antichrist, he's going to turn stone into bread when he comes on the scene. Satan tempted Jesus to do it and he refused. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But Satan's going to give, it tells us all of his authority to the Antichrist and he's going to turn stone to bread. He's going to come with the world's problems. And they're going to make him king. But Christ at this point constrains his disciples to get into the boat. He sends them out into the sea while he disperses the crowd. Now, this is not Storm 101, okay? Storm 101 is when Jesus is in the boat with you. They've been through that storm already. He was in the boat. They got into the storm and they woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care? We're going to die. You've never done that, but for some reason, 2,000 years ago, they did that when they were in a storm with Jesus. This one's different because he sends them out into the storm and he is not with them. Because for centuries, that would be the case for the majority of us. We would be in the storm and he would not be physically present with us. And for some reason, it seems that life, the Christian experience is either going into a storm, 
being in the middle of a storm or coming out of a storm or somewhere in the process there, shortly between storms. It says, straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, the crowds, he departed into a mountain to pray. Now, on the northern uh, end of the Sea of Galilee, probably Safed, um, there's a hill there that goes up to a, a fairly high peak. It seems the only place there. And from there on a clear day, you can see the Sea of Galilee, about 15 miles long, seven miles wide. You can see the perimeter, but certainly not at night while this is taking place. He goes up, it says, into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. He was alone on the land and he saw them toiling in rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and Mark, when we see you personally, would you please tell us why you wrote this and would have passed them by? I'm using the passing lane or something. What do you mean he would have passed them by? How do they know that in the dark? Um, Jesus goes up into a mountain to pray. He's headed to Jerusalem. He'll be departing from Galilee for the last time. He's headed towards the crucifixion. The crowds don't understand. They want to make him king because he provided bread. His disciples were ready to jump on that bandwagon. He sends them away, and he's up in the mountain praying. Now, no doubt he's praying for them because it tells us that he's alone there and he sees them. Now, to see someone... Now, there, we know this from John... 916, John says they were rowing and they had rowed 25 to 30 furlongs, three and a half miles. They are dead center in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. It tells them here that the wind is contrary. That means it's a headwind, which means the sail is doing them no good. So the sail's down, they're headed into the wind. They've been rowing for about nine hours now, just because they're being obedient. And it says, Jesus sees them in the toiling and rowing. The word toiling there is to torture. So these guys, Jesus said, go to the other side. I can't imagine how many times logic is telling them, cut and run with the wind. They're, they're, they're fishermen. They've been on a sea galley their whole life. This is ridiculous. They have to have blisters on their hands. They must be bleeding. They've been rowing for nine hours. They're out in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. They're not making progress. They can't use their sails. There's a headwind. They're toiling and they're being tortured. Their muscles are sore. Their backs are sore. They're doing their best. And, and where is the Lord in those kinds? Of, you ever get in that situation? where you feel like the circumstances are torturing you. And where is he? I'm only here because he told me to be here. Lord, maybe I didn't hear you. Maybe it wasn't you that fed the 5,000 and told me to be here. Uh, Lord, maybe it wasn't your voice. Maybe I should cut and run with the wind. Maybe I should stop trying to be obedient because it's difficult, Lord, to be obedient in this circumstance. You've told me to do this, but I don't know where you are. And maybe I was just trying to be spiritual and I got myself into a mess and it really wasn't you talking to me. But he 
supernaturally, miraculously is watching them from over three and a half miles away in the dark. And he's praying. And there's no doubt in my mind he's praying for them. If you knew that Jesus was sitting out in the parking lot in one of the cars praying for you, how would you feel about being in the storm that you're in? Hebrews tells us this. It says, wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The Bible tells us that, in fact, he's not in the parking lot. He's a little further away, as it were, but not far away at all. It says he gives to us his spirit because we know not how to pray as we ought, but the spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that are too deep to be utter. It says even if we have fallen into sin and made a mistake, that John, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 tells us we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that is there before the Father on our behalf, even when we're in error and make mistakes and fail. He's on the mountainside praying for these guys. They're being obedient and they're tortured in the storm. I don't like this plan. I like, I'm a no-hassle kind of guy, and that's the way I want my relationship with Jesus to be. I want to come to church and sing song and have Bible studies and get raptured. That's about my, my suggestion. It's in the box, Lord. But sometimes there are storms. And sometimes there are places that the Lord takes you and he's taken me and you say, Lord, I've never been in water this deep before. What I've known of you up until today has been wonderful, Lord, it's been sufficient. But if you're going to take me to this place, I need to know something about you that I don't know because I feel like I'm sinking, Lord. This is breaking my back spiritually. I don't have the strength to go on. And what's happening in my life? I don't think I'm going to be able to bear this, Lord. I've said those things to him. But he was faithful. He was there. He was praying. The ship, John tells us, who was one of the fishermen who fished on the lake, in the midst of the sea, he's alone on the land, and he saw them toiling and rowing. That's his perfect will for them. The wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch, that's between three and six in the morning. Why didn't he come earlier? That's between three and six in the morning. He cometh to them, and it just says, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. We'll find out about that. But when they saw him... Walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, a ghost, and they cried out. They thought it was a phantom. That's the word. Because basically, people don't walk on water. See, they, never, they haven't read the chapter. They're not, they're not saying, oh, this is one of my favorite chapters. Where do you see this? This will blow your mind. They're facing backwards. They're rowing into the wind. It's overcast. There's a storm. Is there lightning? Jesus at some point decides to go down and go to them. And you can imagine, I don't know, imagine if there's any fishermen or anybody on shore mending their nets and they see this guy come down from the hill and just head out across the lake. 
they're rowing, they're being tortured, they're laboring. You can imagine lightning lighting up the Sea of Galilee and one of them saying, did you see something out there? Did you see, never, never mind, I'll just, just keep rowing. Just, and you just, you know, it, it, somehow as he gets closer, they begin to see him. They think it's a phantom. <laughs> These are the apostles. By the time he gets close to the boat, they're all screaming. Ah! Ah! <laughs> and uh, sometimes the Lord comes in our lives in ways we don't expect him. And I think we're just as foolish sometimes. They're screaming. They suppose at this point that he's a spirit. For they all saw him and they were troubled. That's a good word. They were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Now, there's something missing in this account. And we have it in Matthew Peter had mentored Mark for a long period of time, who is the author that God uses here, the pen that God uses to write this. And I don't know if Peter told him, just forget that part, will you, when you write? But when he says to the disciples, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter says, yeah, well, if that's you, bid me come to you on the water. That's another question I'm going to ask in heaven. What were you thinking when you said that? The rest of the guys are saying, no, no, get him in the boat. No, no, get him in the boat. Peter says, if that's you, and never read the chapter. What was he thinking? Bid me come to you in the water. They're in a storm. It's dark. It's between three, six in the morning. And what Peter hears is this, come. And as he's saying, I can't believe I asked him. I can't believe I said that. And it says in Matthew, he climbs down out of the boat. It's not a little rowboat. It's a, it's a ship. It's for fishing. He climbs down. He, must, he has to hang over the side. And what was it like the first time? He, I mean, is he touching the water to see what the consistency is? Just try to imagine this. He lets go of the side of the ship and he begins to walk to Jesus on the water. Whatever you want to say about Peter... He demonstrated way more faith than I would have ever demonstrated in the same circumstance. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you. Imagine. Imagine. And it says, but then seeing the wind boisterous and the waves, he began to sink. Doesn't tell us whether he's going down fast or going down slow, but he realizes the water level's rising here around his ankles. Not a time for a long prayer. Ever been in one of those circumstances when you can't pray a long prayer? His prayer is, Lord, save me. That's as long as he can pray. And the Lord catches him, it says, and takes hold of him and brings him back into the boat. We're not given the details here, it says just that they all saw him. They were troubled. Last time he was with them in the storm. And immediately he talked with them. And it says that they cried out in verse 49, which means they were shrieking. He talked with them and said unto them, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship. And the wind ceased they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they wondered. Now, 
we're told this detail in John chapter six, verse 21. It says, when Jesus stepped into the boat, immediately they were at their destination. They covered three and a half miles in the blink of an eye. They're in the midst of the sea, it tells us, John tells us in 619. They had labored all night. They were rowing into a headwind. They couldn't use their sails. It says when Jesus got into the boat with them, they heard the bow crunch up on the shore and they looked around and they were, they were at their destination. Isn't that interesting? They were translated. Now, I know that may seem impossible, but we're all going to be translated. All of us in this room are going to be translated at some point. It doesn't say they all went, whoa, you know, the ship shot across the lake. It says when Jesus stepped in, immediately they were on shore. Uh, you know, and I don't, you know, is he telling us, and I suppose he is, that when he gets into the circumstance with us, we are in fact at our destination. That whatever else is going on around us, no matter how difficult it is, that when we find Jesus in the middle of it, that is our destination. It says that these guys didn't perceive. It says they were filled with wonder for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their hearts were hardened. They didn't realize this is the same one that, you know, this is the creator. This is the one who multiplied bread and fish. He didn't just, he, he created. There was an act of creation here. They didn't perceive that he was the same one then that could take the boat immediately to shore, that the storm would stop as soon as he stepped in. Same creator, it says, because their hearts were hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret, and drew to the shore, and when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him, and ran through that whole region round about, and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, when they heard that he was there. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or the country, they laid the sick in the streets, they besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Imagine the, the, the pace of this. As many people are running, emptying out, you know, their homes, bringing people that are sick on beds. And I personally wouldn't like this. Imagine how uncomfortable it is everywhere you go. Everybody's touching you, you know. You know, most of us don't like that. It would make us very uncomfortable. As many as touched him were made whole. You know, you raise kids, you got at least one kid that could never have done this. Because his whole life he's yelling, make them stop touching me. They touched me, make them stop. You know, imagine the thickness of the crowd, the people jostling him, getting at him just to touch him. And as many as touched him are made whole, it says. That concludes our teaching time here on Straight from the Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 6 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on Listen to Current Messages, then select Straight from the Heart and click on the study with today's date. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 6 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. 
Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. For more information on this broadcast or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart. Guide me, O Thou, great Jehovah. Mm, I'm a pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but Thou art mighty. Hold, hold me with the powerful hand. God.